Hello everyone and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube. You can like and comment on our YouTube videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. Leave us a rate and review. And visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com. This week, we watched Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the TV series by Francesca Sloan and Donald Glover. John and Jane Smith become secret agents for a mysterious organization. Their work puts both of their skills as spies and their relationship to the test, and they have to deal with a world full of dangers. This is obviously based on the movie and from the early 2000s and also from the early 90s in the Mr. and Mrs. Smith series. And it stars Donald Glover in Maya Erskine. So, Dale, what were your thoughts on the series? Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, of course, if you know me, I'm a big like Donald Glover fan, um, whether it's music or his projects. Um, he showcases that he is a really diverse uh, performer and actor, being able to step in um, different roles and stuff like that. Um, of course, you know, Atlanta is very surrealist, so that kind of fit his wheelhouse. And we kind of got small glimpses of his action kind of acting due to his role in um, Solo. So he kind of, so this allowed him to expand upon that part and still kind of play a bit of um, Lando a bit in this role, a little, little, a little, little hints of a little suave in there. But yeah, I thought it was, I enjoyed the series. I thought it was a wonderful um, reinterpretation and a slash adaptation of this IP. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, I thought this was a brilliant kind of continuation of the Mr. and Mrs. Smith universe. Um, Whatever that, however you want to phrase it. Um, I thought that Donald Glover and Maya Erskine are wonderful. Like, I feel like their chemistry really held this down. Like, they, I, they were so believable as two people meeting, falling in love, and then having kind of all the ups and downs of a marriage, even though they are strangers in the beginning. And I guess this is more closely related to, like, the original Mr. Mr. Smith, where it's like, two people who don't know each other get paired up and go on missions versus like the movie from with Brad Angelina where it's like they're married and then they find out that they're yeah. both assassins. Um, so yeah, I thought that this was really good. The writing for me was like Jeff's kiss. Um, incredibly naturalistic. Like it really feels like these are real people who exist and not just like characters from a series. And I think that that's like just really good so i really enjoyed it like every episode i was like these two people are crazy but i am invested in this story i want to see how this plays out um yeah i really liked it and i wasn't sure if i was going to because i like donald glover but like i didn't really watch atlanta i didn't watch swarm so like i don't like i'm not like fully invested in him as like an actor but I think he did such a good job in this, like really has some really good acting chops. Like he is, I know he was in community and stuff. So, but like, I don't know for this, it just felt like a more mature kind of role that he took on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm, like, I wasn't one of those people. Like I was, I, I gave it a bit of, um, chance to breathe on its own. Like a lot of people were like, like this, the project was announced like way before. Like mm-hmm. before we saw you up, but everybody's like, "Oh, Donald Glover and um, uh, Phoebe Waller." The show it was originally going to be the two of them, and then she dropped out. I think this is around the time she's probably shooting up Indiana Jones, so the scheduling issues probably came up with that. But um, and I know people were kind of interested, but then when they saw the trailer, they're like, "Oh no, Brad and Angelina! This is trying to replace that." Like people were so hard on nostalgia for a project that came out in two thousand one, when well, two thousand five, when you were like. 15 years old like 15 14 years old you gotta let that go i mean because especially nowadays in hollywood they're 
reintroducing a whole bunch of prior IPs. So you have to at least get some, let these things have a chance to breathe on its own and watch it before you instantly start deriding it without seeing any content or just seeing the trailers and not getting the whole picture of the project. Yeah, that's true. And I didn't even know, I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention to this product um, in terms of like, I didn't see the trailer. But I do know, like, that whole Phoebe Waller-Bridge <laughs> issue, like, that went on in the beginning. Like, that's what I heard about initially was that, like, they were going to do it together. And then she dropped out because of creative differences. And honestly, I can't even imagine her being in this. Now that I've seen it, I'm like, I can, I could not have imagined Phoebe being in this role. Like, um, I just think that, like, Donald and Maya have, like, a different type of chemistry where it's like, I just buy it. I don't know if I would have been able to really buy him and Phoebe as this kind of thrown together couple that's kind of making it work and actually fall in love. Like, I don't know if I could buy that. And I also love the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie movie. Like, that is one of my movies. I can quote that movie. Like, I watch it all the time on DVD. So, like, that is my joint. But I think that this does such a better job at that story mainly because you have time to really kind of explore the dynamics i feel like that movie things had to kind of move at a quick pace because we need to hurry up and get to like the end because it's a movie obviously well with this i was just like it had time to breathe so you can kind of get into the complexities of it and i was like yeah this is kind of a better way to tell the story yeah, like it was it was a lot less uh truncated like because we had we had yeah. basically we got almost every episode is about 15 minutes long. So you got like two movies worth of, con- like three or four movies worth of content in this project mm-hmm. allowing us to grow. Because even, even when they skipped time, like they go from like their second, their first mission or second mission, I think, and they like they fail the, sec- the second mission and it skips right into where they're in Italy. And you could tell by the characters' interaction, time a lot of time has passed. They're more comfortable in, you know, being these, assassins as spies you know and it's not as abrupt as you know how time ramps up in film you know even though it was a a big jump in time it didn't feel as abrupt because we spent two episodes or so or we spent like a an hour almost with them in the beginning you know meeting each other and we also got smidges of the backstory and then we got you know their first mission and their that whole conflict well the first episode is a meeting and the second episode is their mission. So we had a two, we had an hour of that minor character development to get to know who these people are. So when they actually jumped to them being more adapt, we, we, it wasn't a jolt, you know? Yeah. That's why I kind of like television because it's like, it's not real time exactly, but it does feel like you're spending real time with yeah. characters because there is a lot of space. I mean, the pacing isn't, in some places were was kind of a little bit draggy not and that's probably like my only complaint about the show um like there was in some there were some scenes where like it went on a little too long or could have had some cuts here and there but in terms of like actually like the time spent in investing in the characters i feel like that was well done like they had and like we had enough time for me to like i know who these people are and i kind of know what their issues are and now I'm understanding more of their backstory. Like they don't reveal everything until like more towards the end, but still like you're still getting enough information about these people. So yeah, but, yeah I thought it was good. And I, I, like the one episode I know I do have like the same issues with you as far as time and pacing, I think was a therapy mm-hmm. episode because the ther- therapy episode mm-hmm. is mostly a clip show. And so a lot of those scenes where they're cutting back, where they're talking about their mission and stuff like that, they do kind of linger a bit too long situationally. Like the one mm-hmm. that probably lingered a bit too much for me was when he's going through the staircase and she's on the elevator and it kind of drags on like a bit too long. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it was that last episode when they were just like running aimlessly through New York. I was like... Uh, this man has, they've been running, sweating. He got hit by a car. Like, how are you guys okay? <laughs> like, let's cut to the scene. I'm, I'm always laughing at, um, what was that? Cause, oh, cause you like, 
<laughs> with the round pops. Oh, I heard something. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah, I think I have the only weird thing I have in movies where now is like if you're living in a big city and two people are just running through the city everybody's gonna pause like yo what do, what do we do no one is like and I, you can't tell me oh new york we mind our business we don't question things. no any big city where you just see two people just running full seat everybody's gonna be like what's up with that and I, oh that always irks me in movies mm. that are set in big cities where there's a chasing everybody's on foot running like everybody just accepts it and keeps walking normal like they ignore it and I hate that. That's one. That's my one movie pet peeve. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's why that one scene in the, I think final episode when like the cops come. Yeah. That's when I was like, okay, finally, someone is seeing that these people are like literally fighting with knives over here. Like we need to break this up. <laughs> yeah. But I do love that they grounded it in New York City because I don't know. To me, that felt like much more. It ma- it made it feel more real. Like yeah. Um. Like I knew I could identify places and be like, oh, okay, they're here and they're doing this. And it all felt like more realistic. Um, and of course, like they're living in this beautiful home. Like that brownstone is like perfect. <laughs> like in New York City, like I mean a brownstone anywhere, but like in New York City, like in the city, I think they're living probably on like they're probably uptown. Yeah. What kind of money y'all making? Like, uh, but apparently they're getting well compensated for doing for being spies. But um, I really liked that they did ground it there. And what I loved the most was how they talked about race. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is a pet peeve of mine. I feel like whenever you see interracial couples in films, it's always just like not. A, it's never a discussion. Like it's just like, okay, yeah, well, we're together, <laughs> and it's like. Okay, so we're not going to discuss that. Like, it feels so unnatural because Mm. it's like, obviously you're having these discussions in real life. Like, are we supposed to pretend like we're we're colorblind or something like that? Like, I really like how they made that, not a center point of it, but that it is something that is a part of their relationship that they do have to, like, discuss. Yeah, Um, and I I think that comes from, um, obviously, when you have the talent, behind the screen and also writing the project are our first experience because Darl himself is an inter- interracial marriage. So yeah. it's kind of hard when people do not, ha- like we can question it as like people who like kind of don't interracial, like if I was a black woman, I'm not, these are conversations we're going to have, like how come interracial couples don't talk about stuff because it's curious to us. So it's kind of refreshing to see like, yes, it's an actual conversation he probably himself has had with, you know, his significant other. Because you always, you never get in it. And I think that's one of those things where it's the experience behind the the scenes or behind in the whole creative process helps in projects like these, because you can say, okay, this is what would happen in a situation. Like, I don't think uh, a white writer could write the scene where they're all, or he's playing cards with other black guys. And they're kind of talking about interaction with the police and kind of how guys kind of go off the tough, like, and talking about, women and stuff like that i like those kind of conversations i don't think a white writer or a writer who hasn't been in that kind of environment would work that's exactly right and i i think that 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 scene that and actually really like the therapy episode (laughs) just because it's like there are so many issues between these two that it feels like we kind of needed to like get that out and like talk in, in, in an episode where we can actually confront all of these things. But I did love that scene in particular where he's with his, not his friends, but the people he's like commissioned to kill. Yeah. Because I was like, I feel like that is so accurate. And it just felt like a person who, who doesn't act like that in normal life at all. Yeah. Once you're around people who you feel familiar with, a whole bunch of stuff starts coming out and not, all the time isn't nice so it's like that felt so true and the fact that she's like on the other on the in the other building like listening to all of this stuff i was like that's crazy but um i did think that that was such a well done scene because it's like those are facts like i know that's what y'all be doing when y'all playing cards like maybe not to that extent yeah but we know (laughs) (laughs) we know what's going now you know the tea 
<laughs> but yeah, so I really liked, I really just liked how, again, the writing, to me, the writing was the best part. The writing in Donald Glover and um, Maya Erskine's chemistry, that really just kept everything going. Like the action was really good. Like I actually liked a lot of the action pieces that they had in there. I mean, most of it's like a lot of running and stuff. But I like how all of the missions kind of coincided with like their development as yes, married yeah. or as they were kind of like, you know, come into their relationship. Um, all of the guest stars that came on the show was so fun. Like that was so fun to just to see like recognizable actors who you really like um, just popping up in there. Um, my favorite was Michaela Cole. <laughs> the whole situation that was really good. But also Ron Perlman, when they were talking about kids and they were in Italy, great episode. That was a fantastic episode. So like, yeah, I loved, I loved all of that stuff. That that was so good. Yeah, I was like, when I was like, oh wait, is that Parker Posey? Like, like all these yeah. people, like uh, uh, Daniel was in there, like all these actors, you know, just coming in bit roles. And you have, you know, um, what's the therapist? What was her name again? Uh, oh, Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson as a therapist. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um. Yeah. I lo- like. I and I. I. You hit on something. I wanted. To, I wanted to talk about. I like how the show is not just about the spies. Like you. You. You said it perfectly. Is that their missions also coincided with their growth and their transition as relationship, which I think was the underpinning theme of the show. Like mm-hmm. relationships are like a mission. Like the ebbs and flows and how you gotta adapt and change with it, you know, and stuff like that. It's particularly, it's it's more hyper-contextualized because it's people who really did not know each other and just they're now thrown into a house and have to make it work, you know, and then they make it work. And then the actual relationship issues come to a head once, they, <laughs> once they're on the field, which I enjoyed. Um, this is, like, my first time seeing Maya's work at, like, her acting mm-hmm. at all. Like, I know she was in a project from... Pen 15. Pen 15. 15 yeah. That's mostly a comedy show where, like, I think she's like paying like a kid version of herself, but she's an adult. So it's a really like surrealist comedy in a way. So this is like my first time actually seeing her act, period. I didn't watch uh, Pen 15 because it wasn't really my type of show, but I was really blown away with her performance as well. Yeah. I thought she did such a great job. Again, it's like, for for it to be like the role that like someone else had and dropped out and you just got picked up like that's pretty good like I think that she did like a really good job at playing like a character that seems kind of cold but is actually really emotional and like feeling I I think the issues that they had as a couple was like very fascinating to me because it's like they don't know anything about their real lives, really. Like, when they meet, it's just blank slate, like, who, you're a stranger. And also, like, there are things that you can't reveal because it might endanger other people. Yeah. So, like, the thing... So, when he starts, or we find out that he's been talking to his mom, and that becomes, like, a big thing, I was like, oh, okay, so, like, how are we going to handle this? And the fact that she doesn't talk to her parents, and that like how they see one another um, as one is too clingy and one is too detached. And then the whole discussion of children, I thought that was really interesting because it's like, yeah, like, are you really about to have a kid? And you guys are like, your lives are in danger every single day. (laughs) Um, Does that make sense? But like, he wants it. So what are you going to do? It it was interesting to me because it's like they were treating it like it was a real marriage. And in my head, I was like, this isn't real. So like, why are (laughs) y'all going this hard? But for them, it was like they were legit, like falling for each other. So I thought that their issues were really, I don't know. They were honest because I feel like that's probably what a lot of couples go through and have to discuss anyways. But an accelerated, and it's such a strange situation because it's like you have to work with this person and protect them. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when they're um, doing that little camping thing. So it's in a therapy episode, but when they're camping and they have that big argument yeah. about, um, I don't know, what did he even start with? I, I, oh, she, he didn't read the book and, yeah. she, and she got upset about the book and it just took off from there. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's like for her though, them both sharing that book was a major linchpin in their relationship. And for him, it was like a off off comment. Like, I'm jealous. I'm just like, yeah, I read the book too. And I'm just roll with it. And he did not realize that she took it to heart, like literally. Which is a thing in relationships. You might think something's a minor thing and the other person, you know, doesn't, and then it spills into the crux of your issues. Him being, you know having the ability to be a lot more open than she is. And that was like their major um issue relationship. Like he's comfortable expressing himself to everybody and, you know, adapting and getting comfortable. And she has something that her herself cannot or wasn't able to do. Which is funny because like we said, because this relationship is just they're instantly thrown together, these are issues where if you're dating somebody, you've known how to work around and sort out and stuff like even the baby conversation. Like there are people I've dated or I've gone out with on like the first date and we'll talk about what are our plans. Like, oh yeah, I want to have kids. And you kind of know, like, okay, if you say you don't want to have kids and it's like the first or second date, we it's gonna kind of hard to progress from there. Because if I'm dating with you, potentially I want to marry you. And if I want to marry you, potentially I don't want to have kids. So you know they didn't get all those chances as far as those red flags. They got all those red flags, like, back to back to back to back to back. Yeah. Yeah, and that was pretty intense. Like, I, and to me, one of that was one of Donald's, like, best performances. Like, when he just goes off and he is, like, hitting his hand and he's, like, giving it, I was like, my feelings are hurt and he's not even talking to me. Like, I was so... I was like, oh, he's really good at this. Like, he he's, he was really, like, dynamic in that moment. I was like, Look, oh, my God. If you, if you, like, somebody posted that scene on Twitter, and, like, mm. like that's the one scene I think every kind of guy could relate to on, a, on, a, like on a level, because, and it's it's happened where, for somebody, it's not take a shot, but when your relationship, and your girl kind of emasculates you, and you, like, feel less than, and then, they just mimic you. And he has like, look, don't talk about my mom. Because that's also a thing. The relationship to guys and their mom and their girlfriend and their wives is always a thing. He's like, look, don't talk about my mom. You feel blah, 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 blah. Like everybody could understand that argument because it's a real argument that everybody has had with a significant other. Yeah, yeah that was, that hit straight through the screen. I was like, yeah. Woof. <laughs> I would not want to be on the end of that. That is yeah. crazy. That was yeah. But again, he killed that performance because it was it felt so honest. And I and again, that's like I I keep saying, but like that for me, this is like one of the best shows that I've watched in a while just because I think it takes actually a lot of effort to write things that seem natural. Yeah. Like normal conversations are actually difficult to write and get right in act in like in film and in television Like people have tried and it never seems to sometimes it doesn't work so the fact that like this did feel like conversations that you know that as an audience member you've probably had or you know someone who's had those conversations or you've thought these thoughts like that just goes to the writing of this project and also in terms of like how it was put together most of the directors were women. I think one of the directors, Amy Simons, who did the original The Idol, she did a couple of episodes in here, and then Donald did the last one. Yeah. But, like, just the way everything was put together, it just felt like... It felt like a show that's very kind of close to, like, probably what we're living in right now in a weird way, even though, obviously, we're not spies, but, like, it felt so true to life and realistic. So... Probably. Yeah, and, and it's also a credit to the fact that um this is a partnership because like going through those credits, I've seen because like I mentioned, I'm a fan of Don Glover's work. You know, they are those are there are a lot of names who that I've been familiar with for a long time. You know, Donald's on it. His friend Fam is one of the producers, and his brother's a writer. Uh, Hero Mirat directed a lot of episodes for Atlanta. Directed like two episodes on this. Like it also shows that when you have people you're good at working with you can put mm -hmm. together a like really good really good stuff and you see that a lot in hollywood as well where you know if you know steven spielberg's work he kind of works with a lot of the same writers same editors same everybody you know scorsese even with actors you know you know scorsese and um and uh, uh leonardo dicaprio like 
there are people you when you once you have a relationship with them, as far as on the creative side, and you're in, you know, every time you write gold, you you you're able. It's easier to keep that going. Yeah, that's so true. I feel like the best collaborations are the like are the films that I feel like you probably enjoy watching the most. Yeah. Maybe because like when you know everyone and you're tight, there's like a shorthand where you don't have to like talk about a lot of stuff. Like you guys are just so on the same wavelength that you could just pop it out. Yeah. So yeah. This kind of made me want to watch Atlanta though, because I was like, oh. Yeah. Is it this? Yeah, I'm sure it's not the same. I know it's not the same thing, but like I'm I'm intrigued now. And I really feel like they got the essence of the original, not well, not the original, but the remake, the Jolie Pitt remake. Um, the essence of those characters really well. Where Jane was very similar, kind of cold, didn't seem like she was feeling much, and John was open and likable and charming. And I feel like they really got the essence of these people really well, and then were able to kind of redefine it and keep going. Yeah. So I thought it was so good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hope like way the way it ends, it kind of leaves it very ambiguous. But mm-hmm. I, I kind of don't see it being possible to do a season two with these same characters just because the show kind of kicks off with the end results of a situation like that where their two yes. other spits are getting hunted and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to probably a second season with probably a different set of Smiths, you know, dealing with different situations. What I would That's something I'm interested in, but it's kind of unlikely, you know? Yeah, I think they should keep going with different uh leads i feel like it could be like an anthology thing like a white lotus where you just would do different casts and stuff but like true the same or true detective like i feel like that would actually make more sense (laughs) because you've already established it in the world like there are multiple johns and janes so i feel like they could keep going if they wanted to yeah yeah this this show like uh i mean it you know beat um it had an amazon record for top fives in the season debut which um you know of course these streaming platforms are really airtight on it but i think it debuted on the second at like number one on amazon video and it's like their top five of total uh u.s viewers um i guess the numbers specifically on it should be available um to nielsen next month but you know rating these um streaming platforms streaming shows and numbers is kind of hard because everybody wants to hide their information but of course thanks to the previous strike that information does now have to be revealed so we'll see what it looks like but it seems like based off of the reception online now um of course the interpretation of you know the angelino brad pitt you know original picture you know but it seems like the um reception for the show is very well or what was very well so yeah Um, moving on from that, got a lot of news, but the biggest one, first and foremost, uh, was the Usher Bowl. Mm-hmm. Was, was the Usher Bowl. The game was kind of okay, went to overtime, you know, very close game, but the main program everybody was looking forward to was, of course, Usher, Usher's Super Bowl halftime form. Even my mom was like, oh, like the first couple songs from his like newer, this new album, my mom was like, oh, I don't know this. This is not Usher to me. And then when he started getting like confessions and stuff like that, my mom was like, oh yeah, that's the Usher I know. And then she started to, to groove and get into it. <laughs> yeah, I watched it with my mom. <laughs> that's like... I think that that's probably <laughs> so funny. It's like, you're pa- it's so weird because like when we were growing up, like my mom was so strict about us listening to like secular music. So the fact that she knew the songs, I was like, how are you, how you know this? Like <laughs> she knew some songs that I didn't even know. I was like, okay, that's crazy. But what did you think about Usher's performance? Because there's been a lot of discourse about it. Um, for me, I mean, you know, there were some, I enjoyed it. I mean, of course, um, I saw a comment from, um, I think it was, um, Deadline or one of these publications kind of saying, you know, that it was lackluster, but that's Mm -hmm. one of those, um, two America things, you know, 
you know, it's like the, the actual phrase of the deadline or article was Usher fizzles in Super Bowl halftime show, despite Alicia Keys and other guests. That's mm-hmm. one of those two America things where every black person liked it. And then, you know, when I interact with my other other friends of diverse backgrounds, they're like, oh, mm-hmm. we need some rock music and stuff like that. But you're, the thing with Super Bowl halftime shows, you're not going to meet everybody's, you know, tastes. And part of the reason why Usher did get it, A, he has had a long career, but also the Super Bowl is in Vegas, and he's already been doing a Vegas residency anyway. So, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. Of course, of course I'm going to enjoy it. Like, come on. You know, but yeah. Hmm. I thought it was good. I think that, like, maybe... I think his show was actually modeled on his residency. Yeah. And like, if you don't, if you haven't seen his residency, you probably just like, what? Cause like at first the whole circus Soleil thing, I was like, what is this connected to? I had no idea what that was connected to. But in terms of like, when we kind of moved away from that and then the, you know, he was singing with Lisha keys and he was doing the roller skate joint. I was like, okay, I'm into this. Lisha keys was, I was excited to see her there. <laughs> I think the vocals on this performance performances were like not the greatest. Let's just say that it wasn't the greatest. But like Usher was dancing his butt off, and then he got on roller skates and was dancing. Like that's kind of iconic. So I don't know. It was entertaining, kind of. I mean, it's not like the best halftime show I've ever seen. But I do think that like, towards the end, I really was into it. Like when it was like him and Ludacris, Lil John. Like I was like, okay, we're this feels like an Usher show. But I think the beginning, I was just slightly confused because I didn't see his. I haven't gone to see his residency, so I was just I wasn't sure how that was connected to kind of his legacy. But the songs are so iconic. Like that was my childhood right there. Just like reliving all of that music so like you said it's not gonna hit to everyone's taste but like i do feel like everyone in the arena was having a great time so yeah, <laughs> yeah look it's like look like the the beginning of his performance was kind of a really a slow burn until mm-hmm. you which is the case i think you know he they probably thought it out much better than a lot of other super halftime shows where they literally take a lot of time putting the whole set together you know he spends like the first 15 or so minutes dancing on the grass while everything else is being put together on the stage. You know, then you have her coming through the smoke, you know, mm, that, that purple smoke, yeah. you know, another homage to Prince, and she's playing her, you know, Stratocaster. Like, she's one of the few artists who has her own line of guitars. She's just coming mm. out there playing on that, you know. Then you got uh, Ludacris coming out, Alicia Keys, when she, that opening note, like, every Black person knew that that note was off. Like, yeah. <laughs> You're you're alto. You're alto, Alicia. You're not a soprano. You need to you need to understand. You you think you can hit it, but you can't. I'm sorry. So yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a little, that was a little struggle. Um, I didn't watch the game. I heard the Chiefs won. Yeah. I guess that was to be expected. I think everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I expect the game to be close because you know, as a football fan, you know. The Chiefs kind of a bit stumbled a bit during the regular season. You know, the 49ers kind of played better overall throughout the whole season. And honestly, the game, the Chiefs would have lost the game had it not been the 49er kicker messing up his kick and getting it blocked. And so they would not have gone to overtime and the 49ers mm. would have won by one. But, you know, he's probably not going to have a job next football season because of that, <laughs> you know. But, oh, I mean, it's one of those. It, you, hey, teams cut kickers like that, especially in Super Bowl where we could have won at least by one point, and you, you, you kick it so bad we get blocked. Yeah, that's that man. You know, that's hey, awful. hey, no job, like. Hey, he still has like a couple billion dollars on his contract. He still has a couple billion dollars, so he he might. No, oh. so hey, yes, well, yeah. yeah, I guess that's fine. Yeah, he can cry. Um, he can cry in a Lamborghini, you know. Yeah, so maybe we shouldn't feel too bad for him. <laughs> um, but also, the Super Bowl is Super Bowl trailers. That's when they come out in full force. Um, one thing that I did know is that Beyonce has new music coming out. Part two of Renaissance Cell 
it's it's giving yeehaw like she's in her yeehaw era yeah i don't know how to feel about it i'll just wait until the album comes out I mean, but, but Beyonce um, is a, she's a country girl. Like, even in the trailer for the album, you could hear a lot of references from, you know, country and s- southern gospel, you know, because she's a Houston girl, so she's used to. White yeah. audiences, they're already saying, oh, it's country influence. No, it's straight up country. Like, it, you're, it's you're, a country album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's giving that. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, <laughs> but in terms. <laughs> In terms of the um, movie trailers that came out, Deadpool and Wolverine, mm-hmm. um, that trailer dropped. The Wicked trailer dropped. Um, the Twisters, which is like the, what is it? It's a is sequel it to or, Twister, I think. A sequel? Yeah, a sequel to Twister. Did you watch any of them? How did you feel about them? Um, I saw all of them. Um, Deadpool and Wolverine is the one I'm probably not looking forward to the most. I'm kind of... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say superheroed out. I'm kind of Ryan Reynolds out, tired. <laughs> you know, he kind of plays, he's very much in like The Rock, where he kind of plays the same character every movie, which you kind of don't really, he's been playing Van Wilder for like the past 20 years, you know, so kind of over it, I guess. Um, Of course, I guess now he's the emerging point for all the cinematic, the all the Disney and Fox stuff because he's with the TVA, which we saw in Loki. I kind of mm-hmm. figured since TVA was that we might have seen, you know, at least Tom Hiddleston pop up. Well, that's to be determined when the movie comes out. Um, I mean, I'll wa- I'm, I'm probably not even going to watch it. I don't think I'm going to probably watch any of those movies <laughs> that mm-hmm. were made simple. I mean, last year we had the same issue. Everybody saw the trailer for Flash and it was hyped up and then the movie came out. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, Wicked they I know I've seen the play. I've seen the, the musical. Mm-hmm. And okay. they've de- they've decided to split Wicked up into two parts. And mm-hmm. that I'm kind of apprehensive about because if you've seen the, the musical, the second half is kind of eh. You know, oh, which is weird. Okay. It's a musical about um the Wizard of Oz. So I don't know. It's got I forgot her name, but I know she's made fun of black people before playing um uh, Cynthia Ervo. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's she's playing the bad witch, and you have um Arya Grande in there, which I don't think she can act. So yeah, um, and then of course you have the Twisters trailer. So yeah, that I might watch for nostalgia purposes. Yeah, yeah. I am <laughs> the Deadpool and Wolverine thing has been hyped just in terms of like the people who care about comic books and all that other stuff. So I'm looking forward to it as like a reboot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it feels like we're, we have a place to start that's going to take us to the place that we need to go, which is helpful because I feel like that's what the issue was previous. It's like they were just like throwing things at a wall and seeing like what's stuck. So now that it seems like we're going to have like a focus, I feel like I can reinvest if we're in a place where we can focus on something and then move it forward. Um, Loki season two was great. So I'm excited that that's a part of this in some way. Don't care for Ryan Reynolds at all. Um, I would rather him not be in this movie. Unfortunately, he is Deadpool. So he, he has to be in it. Um, I am looking forward to seeing Hugh Jackman come back as Wolverine, but didn't he die? I don't know what's going on. This is this is the multiverse. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't matter. But um, um, I don't care about any of that. I saw Matthew McFadden from Succession, Pride and Prejudice. He's in this movie. Like Tom Wamsgam is going to be in the MCU, <laughs> and that to me is reason enough to go see it. So I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to see his face. Um. Wicked, I didn't do the play. I know all the theater kids love Wicked. Um, I'm, I don't like musicals, <laughs> so I don't know if I'm gonna go see this. I probably I'll watch uh, it when it comes out on whatever streaming platform it'll end up on. I'll watch it then. Yeah. Um, Ariana Grande, is she a great actress? No, but hopefully she'll give us the vocals, and maybe that'll be enough. I'm I'm not sure. Twisters, I'm excited to see that movie because. Yeah. Daisy Edgar Jones is in that movie. My queen. I am so ready to see that movie. And also Glenn Powell, who is like, who seems like a very charming young man and like a good actor. So like, 
I'm excited to see that movie. It's giving me like the day after tomorrow vibes. Like I'm excited. Like I'm actually hyped to see that movie. That that's so. the movie I'm excited to see. Like when I saw the first one, you know, which is weird. Growing up in, in Miami and in Florida, you know, hurricanes. I think it should be used to like dealing with heavy winds. But I saw that movie as a kid and it traumatized me. Like it scared me to the point where we went to Universal Studios on a vacation. And my mom was like, she wants to do the studio kind of tour thing. And we went on the Twister Ride. The Twister Ride is basically you're moving through it. Uh, you're walking through like a diorama. And it has all the effects. And mm-hmm. I was so shook. I was like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then I go on a thing and I was like, this is some bullshit. This ain't even scary at all. Like, that's how much <laughs> that movie scared me as a kid. But yeah, I'm looking... Yeah, I'm looking really forward to it. Like Hollywood, like to the, on the Wicked thing, Hollywood does have an issue. I think of trying to market these successful Broadway musicals. Mm. Um, like Hamilton, everybody kind of knew Hamilton was going to be a a musical, whatever. But a lot of these other projects that they're trying to transition from stage to screen, Hollywood's trying to avoid. They said themselves they're trying to avoid marketing these musicals as musicals. So yes. now when people go watch these things and they go, oh shit, I'm going to sit here for like the next two hours watching a musical, people get pissed off. Like Hamilton mm-hmm. worked because it was a pandemic and also it was on Disney Plus. So people could take their time and actually enjoy it. And as you're watching on Disney Plus, you could put the lyrics on and do a sing-along. You had so many options. That's why people enjoyed Hamilton as a musical. Like with Wicked, with Wonka, Color Purple is different because... Color Purple also has a cultural influence. You know, mm. it's a Black story, particularly a story of Black women. So that gets a pass as being a musical, but like Wicked, Wonka, you know, even the Mean Girls movie, which was a, a musical, right. people have issues with those things in theaters. Because it's not the same environment and viewing experience at all. Yeah, and it seems like the... It's not, like, hitting... Like, you know, I feel like there was a moment, and I feel like we lived in that moment, where the musicals were coming out marketed as musicals and you like remembered the songs. Like the songs were iconic. Like I remember when Les Mis came out, everybody was singing those damn songs. I dreamed a dream of a time. Like what? Like that was a cultural (laughs) moment. Like rent, like when dream girls came out iconic. Like, so it feels like people got, upset or angry or annoyed at musicals and so they were like we don't want to see them anymore and so the studios just stopped marketing them as such but you are watching a musical when you go to see these things and the music seems to not really hit so it's i don't really know like so then it's like okay then what was the purpose of having it be a musical if it wasn't gonna if the music isn't hitting yeah they should work that out because <laughs> what <laughs> very strange Anyways, so that's a Super Bowl, I guess. Yeah. In our next story, we have the actors' equity votes to authorize strike over developmental work. The Actors and Stage Managers Union went on strike in 2019 over this contract, which governs workshops and readings of shows held before full productions on Broadway or elsewhere. So, that's okay. This is crazy because, like, the way that theater held down this industry during the SAG and writer strikes, the fact that they're not going on strike, y'all lucky those things have been resolved, or else nobody would be working. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think it's over it's over developmental work, which developmental work on Broadway is kind of a lot of some of the off Broadway stuff and kind of the performances of the show while the show is kind of still being developed. It's crucial. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. Like, workshopping, the rehearsal period is, like, a huge part of why you do theater because it's, like, you have the time to figure out what the show is going to be. Previews, like, all of that matters before you actually, before opening night. Like, that's (laughs) very important work. So, wow. Yeah. What happened? I wonder what happened. I mean, they said they went on a 30 day. This, this is the second time they stroke over this. They think they won a strike like a month in 2019. Um, and then um, they said they stopped and then they had negotiations, you know, which expired and they're deciding to share 
one percent of the profits from the developmental phase of you know um of the, the well the profits from the performances during developmental phase they decided to uh share one percent of the profits with the actors and the stage managers um and now they're looking for more of an increase because that mm-hmm. developmental period it's usually when a lot of these broadway shows put in their most time you know your yeah. stars not even just the actors but also your lighting crew props all that stuff in building up the show so yeah i hope they resolve it um moving on from that so we're talking about of course mr and mrs smith on this show you mentioned streaming numbers um so apparently if you have an Amazon Prime account, you might want to see how you can get involved in this right now. Um, there is a lawsuit going on uh, for charging users and subscribers for additional fee for its ad-free tier. Of course, all these streaming platforms now um, have, you know, different um, pay levels, you know, from their free or their, not their free, but their, um, their ad-included content and their ad-free content. Um, so uh, I think Amazon has the largest subscription base of ads, ad-supported streaming and non-ad-supported streaming. They, I think they're saying Amazon has big numbers, but they're saying users are now paying an additional uh, $3 uh, because um, you have to pay an additional $3 to watch without ads from the base price. But people have realized um, Amazon secretively um, altered their terms and conditions to raise the ad, raise the price, and it's kind of now kind of deceptive. So now people, the the lawsuit alleges that subscribers must now pay extra on top of the already four dollars they're paying to get ad free. They're having to pay more now, um, which is illegal. So the FCC is um dealing with that. If anybody has an Amazon Prime account or they might want to get it look into that so yes i have it and i've been seeing it pop up every single time i've gone to amazon and i'm like i'm not paying this like i'm not gonna do it mm-hmm. i lo- there's a lot of the things i have on my amazon account i actually just outright bought so mm-hmm. like i don't have to watch ads on it so like I don't care. Like, you're not going to get my 3 to $4. Like, I won't. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always wondering how these class action lawsuits work, especially in this case, because I remember there was a point where EA, EA, EA Sports got sued about something with Madden. And I went to the mailbox one day and I got like a check for like $5 from the, the class action lawsuit and I wasn't involved in it. I guess because at the time I was, EA had my information for Madden for my account or whatever, I got money. But I'm always like these class action lawsuits always question because now you're going to split up the millions and millions of dollars to millions of people and everybody gets five dollars at that point i'm like just don't even give me the money (laughs) you know if you're only going to give me the five dollars so yeah that happened to me there was some class action suit or something like that at warner brothers where i used to work and then i got a check randomly a couple months ago for like a good amount of money and i was like i wasn't involved in this at all but i guess i was working during the time that this was like the investigation and stuff yeah i was like I will take that money. Thank you. Like that was a terrible job. So thanks for that extra check. Like love it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> anyways, um, anyways. So what have we watched over the week? Um, of course, you know Super Bowl. That's me. Um, this is like a major like sports month <laughs> for me. Mm. You know, you got Super Bowl. Of course, NBA regular season. Um. And then, of course, you know, uh, end of the month or a couple weeks' time, you have uh, F1. Not F1. You have um, NASCAR, Daytona 500. A couple weeks ago, we had uh, the Clash in California. So, yeah, like, motorsports kind of dominates my February. (laughs) And also, there are not many movies out in the theaters that I actually want to see right now either. So... Mm. like my mom is now bugging me to watch color purple so i'm probably gonna probably watch it at night with her you know so 
Coach so was like, yeah, it's not in the theaters, but I have it, so we can watch it. So probably gonna do that. So yeah. Um, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that I was watching Succession through a third party. Like I wasn't watching Succession. I was watching other people watch it. And yeah, um, and I finished it or they finished it. So I finished it. And I have to say that like, Succession is a really good show, but honestly, like I'm glad it ended at season four because there's no way that this could have kept going. Like the fact that these three kids were buying so hard for this position at this terrible company. Like, get a life. Like, please do something else with your time. Like, start a new business. Like, do anything. Like, this is insanity. So I'm glad that that ended. Great show, though. It was very interesting, entertaining. I totally get why people are obsessed with it. Makes sense. Um, but yeah. So I watched, finished watching that. And then I watched Poor Things, the Yorgos Lanthimos new movie with Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo. It was a lot. <laughs> like, it was a lot. I think I saw more of Emma Stone than I've ever seen before. And I don't know if I needed to see all of it, but I, I saw all of it. And so that was interesting. I understand why it's getting the hype it is though because it is a really good movie like I think weirdly like Yorgos knows how to like depict very complicated women in such a good way in a way that like most men can't <laughs> in the film industry so like it was it kind of reminded me of like the worst woman in the world where a man I think he wrote it and directed it so like it was giving that where it's like you can talk about these really complicated things that pertain to women in a way that like honors that experience and doesn't try to like mansplain it. It's very good. It's a very like well-written movie. Everyone does a great job. Mark Ruffalo, haven't seen him in a role like this ever. So this is like so cool that he's doing something different. Um, even for Emma Stone, never seen her do something like this either. Like this was really cool for her to do. Rami Youssef is in this movie and he is excellent. He is an excellent actor and I now need to go watch his show. Like, because I didn't know that he was, he could give this, like he was so good in this. And he was like in the movie, like he wasn't just like in there for like five minutes. He was a huge part of the film. So yeah. Rami Youssef, my new fave, I love him. Um, and yeah, just the direction, the production design, like cinematography, all of, all of that stuff was excellent. So it makes total sense why this is here. I get it. I respect it. I liked it. It was long as hell, but like, it was good. Could have watched it at home, but I was in the theater by myself. So like, who? it, it, it was essentially the same thing. So whatever. Yeah. Go see it. <laughs> <laughs> and... That is it from us this week. Uh, we hope you guys are doing well. Make sure to all of our social media. Support us if you can. And we will see you guys in the next one.